Good morning, church. And it is such a joy and a delight to be back with you here this morning. We have always enjoyed our, our time with you, and so we were excited to be able to come back and to, to see you again. And, and thank you for the honor and the privilege just to share God's word with you. Again, uh, as the director for the Asia-Pacific Media Philippines, uh, let me again just thank you so much for the partnership uh, that you at United Bethel have, have given to us at Asia-Pacific Media. Uh, we appreciate and are so blessed by your generosity and your faithfulness and your partnership with us as we really seek to uh, share the good news of the gospel all across Asia-Pacific. And, and that is only really possible because of partners like you. And so from the depth of my heart, and I say this every time, but I, I, I really mean it. From the depth of my heart, we say thank you. So, so thank you, and, and thank you for letting us come back. And uh, it's nice to be in here, this being the third time, starting to recognize people's faces and, and remembering people's names. And uh, so we enjoy that so very much and, uh, and excited that we get to speak today and then also been invited to, to share next Sunday. And your theme uh, right now has been the whole family saved, more to come. And I'm going to kind of try to address that, uh, come from that theme here this morning. But I want I to use two passages of Scripture that are very familiar to us this morning as we, as we uh, deal with this theme here. And one is, the, is actually a whole chapter, the book of, book of Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can go, to he, go ahead to the book of uh, Luke chapter 15. And if you are not familiar with the book of Luke chapter 15... Uh, basically, it, it's, a, it's a series of parables about the lost, coin, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And if you are not familiar with that, I would ask that while, while I'm just talking here for a few minutes, that you just go ahead and read Luke chapter 15. Uh, and then uh, we'll, we're going to come back to that here in just a little bit. And then the other passage I want to look at is another very familiar passage is the book of Psalm chapter 23. Okay, and again, most uh, if, if you've been a Christian for very long, you are, are familiar with the Psalm 23rd. And so this morning, um, as we've been singing about the Lord is good, um, as we've been talking about the theme here, uh, the whole family saved, more to come, uh, let's look at our, our, our theme this morning, our title, the message of this morning is the Good Shepherd. And I want you to understand here, I'm going to be presenting two points this morning that come from this, and I'm going to be dealing with one this week, and the next week I'll finish it up with the other second point here, okay? All right, and so we're going to talk about the Good Shepherd this morning, and, and we start, have to start off with a question here. As we look at Luke chapter 15, we have to ask this question is, who is this Jesus that we find in Luke chapter 15? Okay, uh, as we look here at the, at the opening verses here, uh, we have to ask this question, who is Jesus? So let's go to Luke, Luke 15, chapters, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay. So we have to ask this question here from this statement in verses 1 and 2. We have to ask the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that is doing this? Okay? Now, when it says here uh, that the Pharisees and the teachers were muttering amongst themselves, I want you to understand that they weren't at a distance, you know, underneath their breath talking to somebody saying, 
what do you think he's doing? Why do you think he's doing this? They are saying this out loud to where Jesus can hear them and the people that Jesus is eating with can hear them. So imagine, can you imagine yourself? Imagine this. You're sitting, you're sitting with Jesus at a table eating, and over, over on the other side of the room is a group of people saying, well, I don't know why Jesus is eating with them. Why is Jesus eating with them? You know, so can you imagine you're sitting there and then to hear somebody out loud talking about why is Jesus eating with them? That, that's offensive, right? That's rude, right? Okay? And so this is the, the scenario. This isn't a, this isn't a case where Jesus knew what they were thinking. This is a case where Jesus and everybody in the room heard what they were saying. Why is Jesus eating with those people? Why is he eating with those types of people? Okay? And so we have to ask them, who is this Jesus? And so because of this, they have a moral complaint about him. They have a complaint because he's eating with these tax collectors and sinners. So on one hand, they recognize that Jesus is doing miracles. They recognize that the things that, that Jesus has been doing uh, can only come from God. They recognize that. They recognize that Jesus speaks with a wisdom that isn't a natural wisdom, that it's a wisdom that comes from God. They are recognizing that. And so as they recognize this about who Jesus is, and then they see him eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. They have a, 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 a complaint against him. They say, why is he eating with such people? And they begin then to ask the question. They have a moral question. Okay? And this raises a question for us as well. They have an issue with Jesus eating with these types of people and they have to ask the question is how do we stay pure in the sight of God now in Jesus day there were basically two schools of thought on how you stayed pure now just outside of Jerusalem there's a there's a, a you know it's a couple miles uh, you know several kilometers away from Jerusalem there is a series of uh, 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 of canyons and mountains that have a bunch of caves in it Okay, it's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's called the Qumran community, okay? And this community, they had an idea about how you stayed pure in the sight of God. And the way that they stayed pure in the sight of God is they, they moved to the mountains and lived in caves. And they totally isolated themselves from everybody else. And they just basically had their own little community. And they said that the way that we stay pure from God, for God is that we isolate ourselves from everybody else. We isolate ourselves from every form of temptation and everybody else who doesn't know God and doesn't love God, and we just isolate ourselves, and they just lived in caves as hermits by themselves. So that was one idea. The second idea was more in line with what the Pharisees held, and it wasn't a, a total separation, but it was a social separation. And so for the Pharisees, they held this idea, that the way to remain pure, you didn't have to go live in the mountains or in the caves and live by yourself. That's not how you could stay pure. You could still live amongst society and civilization, but to be pure, you had to be careful who you associated with, okay? 
And you didn't associate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and, and people and drug dealers and, and the, the, the dredges of society. You didn't, you didn't associate with them. Because if you associated with them, then you were basically saying that you approved of them and you approved of their lifestyle. And, you, and we never want to call something good that God says is wrong. And so you never associate with people such as that. Else you would defile yourself and then say that you approve and affirm of somebody else. And so the Pharisees didn't believe in total separation. They believed that you separate socially, that you watched who you hung around with and who you ate dinner with. Okay, And so this is why they are so confused when Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And so they, here's where the confusion comes in. Because they make a moral assumption. Because they recognize that Jesus speaks with a godly wisdom. Because they recognize that the things that Jesus is doing has to be the power of God. Then they say, how can this man who is from God eat with sinners and tax collectors? The assumption is that if Jesus is pure, he would protect his purity and he wouldn't hang out with people like this. He would keep himself pure. That's the assumption. And so the assumption then leads, well, then how do you keep yourself pure? And that's where we have the confusion here. And that's why we have to ask the question is, who is this Jesus? Okay. So let's look at the response of Jesus. They had this complaint. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. They say, why is he eating with those people? If he's from God, he'd keep himself pure. Okay. And so Jesus responds. He responds to their complaint in chapter 15 by telling a parable. And it's a parable that comes in, 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 in three parts. It comes with the parable of the lost, of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost, uh, the lost son. Okay? It's all one parable told in three parts. Okay? And so you can read that along if you'd like. But we're going to go here in, in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look here. I took out the verse. Okay. We're going to go look, look 15, verses 3 through 7. I'm sorry, I took out the verse here by accident, so you're just going to have to listen to me read it. So he answers them by telling a parable. Maybe it's there. There it is. All right. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay? And here, right here in this passage, is where we kind of get to our we kind of get to our, our theme here, okay. And I want to think about this. Okay, uh, we have this picture here of of you have a flock of a hundred people, uh, a flock of a hundred sheep, and you lose one, okay. I want to just liken that to our family, okay, our our family, okay. 
We, we have our flock, the people that are closest to us that we have, and they are all, that they are all safe. They are all part of the flock. They are all together. They are all part of the family. Okay? And the question is going to be, is what do we do with the idea then of those who are not part of the family? What, about, what do we do about those who are not part of the flock? Are we concerned about those? Um, do we really believe that, do we, do, are we satisfied? Do we simply have the satisfaction that our family is saved? Or do we really have the expectation that more are to come? Okay? And that's where I want to kind of frame this with our, with our theme here is, what is our mentality in that regard? Is, is, are we satisfied with just the 99 if one is missing? Are we just satisfied? Are we satisfied with just our family, with the, just our flock being saved? Or are we, are we really looking with anticipation for more to join? And so that is the great question for us here. But in this parable that Jesus, as he responds to their complaint, okay, we have to, I want to ask you this question, is, is who is this parable really about? Who is this parable? Jesus says, you know, if you have 90, if you have 100 sheep and you lose one, who doesn't leave the 99 and goes and searches after the one? Okay. Who is this parable about? Okay. Now, in this parable, this parable is about Jesus himself. Jesus is talking about himself in every one of these stories. In the parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and the lost son, Jesus is the object. He is the main character in these stories. Okay, This is a parable about himself. And then this imagery of what he is using, we, we sometimes miss it. But you have to understand that the people that he is speaking to are going to recognize the imagery that he is using because they have memorized most of the Old Testament. And so when he talks about the idea of a shepherd, when he talks about the idea of sheep, they automatically understand the context and the theological significance of what he is saying. We sometimes miss it. And so I'm going to try to help put this together for us here this morning so that we understand what is actually being said here. So this parable is about Jesus himself. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, how does this parable describe Jesus? Okay? It describes him as two things. It describes him as a good shepherd and a good host. Okay? We're going to talk about a good shepherd this week. Next week we're going to be talking about a good host. So I want you to notice here so far, what do we have in this story? In verses 1 and 2, Jesus is eating with a group of people. He is actually hosting this group of people. What is this group of people? It is a group of tax collectors and sinners. He then, in response to the complaint against them, tells the story about a lost sheep. Who doesn't, who, if somebody has a flock and, and one loses, who doesn't leave the 99 to go look for the lost sheep? Okay. He now tells the story about a good shepherd. Okay. Now, to put this into context for us, theological context, Let's look at a passage of Scripture here that we, if, you're, if you've been part of the church for any length of time, you are familiar with, okay? So we're going to look at Jesus as a good shepherd, okay? Uh, Jesus says, and again, I'm missing a, missing a verse, okay? 
So Jesus says in, in Psalm 23.1, says, The Lord is my shepherd. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. King David's saying that God is his shepherd, and why is he a good shepherd? Why is, why is God a good shepherd? Well, because he makes him lie down in green pastures. He makes him lie down in green pastures. Uh, and why green pastures? Because what do sheep eat? Sheep eat grass. Okay? And so Jesus is, God is a good shepherd because he doesn't take his sheep to, to, uh, to fields that are full of, that have no grass or are full of, of thorns and thistles and, and, and bushes. He takes, he, he's a good shepherd and then when he, ta- when he leads his sheep, he leads them to fields that are full of grass. Okay? He's a good shepherd. Okay? He, what else does he say? He says, he leads them beside still waters. Now, why is it important? Why, is, why does a good shepherd lead a sheep to still water? Because sheep are not very good swimmers. And if you can imagine, a sheep has this big woolly coat. And when they walk out into the water, what happens to that woolly coat? It absorbs all that water, and it gets really heavy. Okay? And not being very good swimmers, if they are in fast-moving water, that weight of their of their wool coat absorbing all that water they can easily be overcome by the current of the stream and if they are overcome they are swept away and not being very good swimmers they drown and so the idea of being led to still waters is a very good shepherd because why because he cares for his sheep does that make sense what else does king david say he refreshes my soul. Now, uh, a, a better translation might be that he, 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 he causes me to repent or to turn, which causes my soul to be refreshed. Okay, so he, he refreshes my soul. He satisfies the longing of my heart. Everything of which I need, the good shepherd provides for me. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Okay? So in the midst of, of danger, in the midst of trial, the shepherd has a, a rod and a staff. With the, with, the, with the staff, you know, that has the shepherd's crook, if, if, the, if, the, if the sheep is, is caught in the water, is caught in a ledge, is, is falls in the hole, he reaches down with the staff, with the hook on it, and he pulls them back to safety. With, this, with the rod, which is basically a big stick, a big club, and with the rod, he's able to protect the sheep from danger, you know, from a wolf or from a bear or from a lion. He can use it to defend the sheep. And so the idea that the Lord is a good shepherd because he has a staff and he has a rod in order to protect the sheep. He is a good shepherd. He is a good shepherd. The Lord is a good shepherd. But sometimes when we read Psalm 23, we make it about us. We, we read it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by still waters. He, lead, he causes me to lie down by green pastures. He refreshes my soul. And so we oftentimes make this, uh, uh, we oftentimes make this passage about, about us when it's not. The passage is about 
about Jesus. This passage is about the Lord. The Lord is the good shepherd. It's not about us. It's about the Lord being the good shepherd. It's about the Lord being the good shepherd. Then in the next part of the verse, we, the passage here in verse 5 and 6, we see that Jesus is described, the imagery changes from Jesus being the good shepherd to Jesus being a good host. Okay, and so just briefly here, let's just let's talk about this, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up next week. But notice in verse 5 and 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay? So in the presence... In the presence of my enemies, in the presence of the people who hate me, you honor me with a meal, is what, the, is what King David says. In the presence of those who hate me and accuse me and don't like me and look down upon me, you honor me with a meal. You associate with me publicly. And you honor me by eating with me in the presence, very presence of those who don't like me. And so don't you see this is exactly what we have in Luke chapter 15? Jesus eating with a group of people in the very midst, honoring them with his presence. The very ones who the, the, the religious leaders are saying, why in the world is Jesus eating with them? So in the very midst of, of them being ridiculed and mocked and scorned and being ostracized as being lesser value or lesser class in society or, or, or not spiritual or not holy, and in the midst of them being condemned, Jesus honors them with his presence and he hosts them with a meal. He hosts them and he honors them in the very presence of their enemies. All right? So we ask the question, who, who, if they have a flock of sheep, if one goes missing, who doesn't leave the 99 to go look for the one? And I think probably most of the time, I probably, growing up as I thought about that, I'd say, well, of course somebody would. Anybody would go look for the one. And the answer is not true. Not everybody would. A good shepherd would. But all, not all shepherds are good shepherds. There, are, there is such a thing as a bad shepherd. Okay. And so here is where I say that the imagery of the shepherd is so profound in the Old Testament that we oftentimes miss this. But when Jesus tells this parable, trust me when I say that the Pharisees will understand what he's saying. There are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattered the sheep of my pasture. I will bestow punishment on you for this evil that you have done. So when... When this is written, when the prophet Jeremiah reads, writes this, this is the Lord speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the religious leaders of Israel who is supposed to be, quote-unquote, as a leader of Israel, supposed to be the shepherd of the flock of Israel. And he says, woe to you who are not taking care of the flock. 
who aren't watching the flock, but you are destroying the flock. You are scattering the flock. You aren't, you aren't going and looking for the one that's lost. You are causing them to be lost. You are scattering them. Sheep by nature want to be together. They flock together for a sense of safety. And, and that's why they always come together. And he says, but no, you're not, just, you're not causing them to come together. You're scattering them. You're not a good shepherd. You are a bad shepherd. And so he scolds them. So he scolded them. They're supposed to be protecting the flock, but they're destroying it instead. So in the next couple of verses that follow, he describes how God's going to send a shepherd. He's going to send a shepherd who's going to um, take care of the flock. He's going to bring the flock back together and who's going to take care of them. And, and he goes on here uh, and, and at the, at, in verse 6 of, of this uh, same chapter. He says, as he's describing, I'm going to send a shepherd who's going to bring you back. All the sheep that have been scattered, I'm going to bring them back together. I'm going to take care of them. And he, and he tells us who the shepherd is going to be. He says, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So right here, we have this connection. Who is the good shepherd? The good shepherd is none other than the Lord, our righteous Savior, who is none other than Jesus. So hence, if Jesus is the good shepherd, we know that Psalms 23 is speaking about whom? It's speaking about Jesus. We know here that when Jesus is talking about the parable of the good shepherd in Luke chapter 15, that he's talking about whom? He's talking about himself. Okay? So just as there are good shepherds, there are bad sheep. Okay? In, in Ezekiel 34... The first part of the, the verse, the first part of the chapter continues to talk about bad shepherds, okay? And then about halfway down in verses, uh, let's see, verse, verse 17, it, it, it changes and it talks about bad sheep, okay? And I just want to just, uh, just listen here what it says about the bad sheep, okay? It says some sheep, the sheep that God is rescuing aren't good sheep. And this is how he describes them, Okay? He said, they eat the green grass because the good shepherd leads them to green pastures. He says, the sheep are bad and that they, that they eat the green grass, but then they, they dig it up and they roll around it and they destroy the grass so the other sheep can't eat it. He says, I take them to clean water, to still water, but then they, they urinate and defecate in the water and they ruin the water so the others can't drink it. Okay? He goes on to say that the strong sheep attack and bully the weak sheep. Okay? And so the picture is, is that the sheep are not good sheep. That they are bad sheep. And so what is the point? The point is this. Is that the good shepherd is not taking care of these sheep because they are good. The good shepherd does not go after the one sheep who has left the flock of 99 because it is a good sheep. He does it, why? For his name's sake, is what the Psalms 23 says, right? For his name's sake. He doesn't do it because the sheep are good. Why does he do it? Because he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. 
So let's go back to Luke chapter 15. Well, in verse 34, if we, in case we miss the imagery here, he says, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your Lord God, declares the sovereign Lord. So basically what he's saying, we are the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He takes care of us, not because we are good, but because he is. Does that make sense? And so this verse right here just kind of, if we, if we, if we fail to see the imagery, he just lays it out. You are sheep. You're bad sheep. But I am the good shepherd. Okay. So then let's go back to, let's go back to Luke chapter 15 here, and we'll, we'll finish this up here really quickly. So in Luke chapter 15, who are we in this parable? Okay, who are we in this story? Um, how do we answer? Are we, are we the ones who are celebrating with Jesus, or are we the ones complaining about Jesus eating with these people? How do we answer the question, if a sheep would, if, if a sheep is lost, who wouldn't go after it? And so, are we good shepherds? Are we sheep? Who are we in this, in this story? But in Luke chapter 15, verse 5 through 7, Jesus, being the good shepherd, goes and looks for the lost sheep. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, one, over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who do we celebrate? The sheep or the shepherd? You ever think about this? You know, we, we use that verse all the time. Ah, oh, the, the heavens are rejoicing. The, 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 the angels rejoice in heaven when a, when, a, when a lost sinner comes home. Who are we celebrating when we, when we say that? Who are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? Do we celebrate the sheep or the shepherd? Remember, it is the, she it is the shepherd who bears the burden of finding the sheep. He's the one who, who, who finds the sheep. He picks up the sheep. He carries the sheep. He, he restores the sheep. You know, he's the one that, that has to spend the time and the energy. He's the one that bears the emotional burden of, of, of seeking the sheep that is lost and worrying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do if I lose this sheep? i got to find this sheep. You know, he's the one that bears all the burden of rescuing the sheep. The sheep doesn't probably, sometimes doesn't even care that it's lost. The shepherd bears the, all the burden. He pays the cost to bring the sheep back. Because why? Because he is the good shepherd. And when the shepherd gets back, after finding the sheep, he invites everybody around and says, I found the lost sheep. Everybody, come around. Let's celebrate. And everybody, everybody comes around. And as everybody comes around to celebrate, do they say, oh, good sheep. Good job coming home, sheep. You did a really good job, sheep. No. They don't say that. They say, you are a good shepherd. Good job, shepherd. Right? That's what they say. They celebrate the shepherd and not the sheep. 
Likewise, in the second part of the parable, in the story of the lost coin, the lady loses the coin. She has ten coins. She loses one. It's a valuable coin. And so what does she do? She, she sweeps the entire house. And when she finds the coin, she invites everybody over to celebrate. And as they come in the house, they say, oh, you're such a good coin. Good job, coin, for coming back. No, they don't say good job, coin. They say, good job, woman, for finding the coin. You are a good shepherd. And so when, when somebody comes to Jesus, when we, we think of this, sometimes we want to say, good job for accepting Jesus. But we're, we shouldn't celebrate the sheep. We should celebrate the shepherd who saves the sheep, right? The rejoicing in heaven over a lost sinner coming home isn't that the sinner came home. Good job, sinner, for coming home. No, the rejoicing is, thank you for the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. Who seeks and saves the law. Because why? Because he is the good shepherd. So as we wrap it up here, what is our ending? The last part of the parable is this parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Okay? The younger son you know, comes to his father, says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now while you're still alive. Give me my inheritance, what you'd give me once you die. Give it to me now. And so the father gives him his, I mean, how rude is that? Right? Basically saying, I wish you was dead. Give me what you'd give me now. You know, I wish you, was, I, want, I want what you'd, I want what you'd give me when you're dead. Give it to me now. You know, that's rude. So he asks the son for he asks the father for his inheritance. He goes off, he squanders it. He finds himself in a famine. Nobody's helping him. He's got nothing to eat when he returns home. And when he returns home, the father is so excited that he returns home that he throws a feast for him. Now his older brother is gone when the younger brother comes. And so when he comes up, when he comes home and he hears all the celebrating, he hears the music, he hears the dancing, he hears everything going on, he can smell, he can smell the, the roast calf being roasted over the fire, he smells all the food, he hears everything, and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come home and your dad is celebrating and he's throwing a feast And what does the son do? The son complains. Father, why are you eating with him? Why are you feasting with him? Why are you, why did you kill the fatted calf with him? I've been here the whole time. You've never ate with me. You've never celebrated with me. You've never done anything for me like this. Why are you doing that for them? Do you see the parable? This is the same question that the Pharisees are asking at the beginning of the question, right? Jesus, why are you eating with those people? The son is asking, Father, why are you eating with the other son? Why are you eating with my brother? He's, he, he wished you were dead. Why are you eating with him? 
Why, why are you eating with him? Why are you eating with him? He hates you. And the father the father comes out and says, look, your brother was lost, but now he's found. How can I not celebrate? How can I not celebrate? And so this is where the story ends, and it kind of leaves us hanging because there's things that we want to know. So the father comes out and says, your brother was lost, but now he's found. How can I not celebrate? Come in and celebrate with us. Come in and eat with us. Come in and join the celebration. And that's where the story ends. And we wonder, the question is, what we don't know, what does the older brother do? Does he go in and join the celebration? Or does he stand off in the corner with disgust with his arm folded and says, I still can't believe that you're doing this. I can't believe that you're throwing this party for him. I can't believe that you are honoring him with your presence, that you are honoring him with this meal. I can't believe that you are honoring that. I can't believe that you are doing this. Why are you eating with him and not with me? Why are you doing this for him, but you're not doing it for me? Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks the lost who pays, and again, and I didn't, I didn't really hammer this, but he pays the price for our rescue. He pays the price to save the lost. And as all the sheep come home, he celebrates them. And so the question is, whole family saved, more to come. What's really our attitude with this? Are we just content that we have our family? Do we really want more to come? Or are we satisfied with just this? Well, why do we, why do we want those people to come? They're needy. You know, they don't know anything. You know, they're, they have problems. You know, you know, we're here, and we, 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 you know, we, we have this nice Christian fellowship here. We, have, we, we share, we, we're mature in our faith. You know, we have these types of things. You know, are we content with what we have, or are we open for more to come? And we have to remember, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he will leave the 91 even to go search for the one who is not part. Does that make sense? And so that's the challenge here as we, we come to a close here this morning. And so if, if we just bow our heads and our hearts here this morning, as we just wrap it up here, there's, there's a few questions I want to ask you this morning. Okay? The first one is this is a matter of, of finding the Savior. And maybe you are not part of this church. Maybe you are, are new here. And I want to tell you uh, that the Lord is the good shepherd. 
And the Lord loves you, and he has paid the price. And if you do not have a personal relationship with, with, with him this morning, I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he wants to find you. Okay? And he wants to rescue you. He's already paid the price. He's paid the penalty. He does all the work. Okay? He has done it all. And maybe you'd say, maybe you'd say, Pastor Keith, God could never love me. I could never be reconciled because, you know, I, I've done so many bad things. I, I've walked away from him. Uh, you know, I, I, I've just, you don't know what I've done. Uh, he, 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 can't, he can't possibly love me. He can't possibly forgive me. He can't possibly restore me. And I'm here to tell you, he is the good shepherd. 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 And he will do that for any lost sheep. And so if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Keith, today I want to know this good shepherd. Just raise your hand and I'll pray with you right now. Is there anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. So if you, if you raise your hand, just put your hand on your heart here and, and just let's just pray this prayer together. Everybody just pray this prayer, prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being the good shepherd. And thank you for praying, paying the price for my redemption. So I recognize you this morning as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me and bringing me home to you. I declare you as my Lord and my Savior, my good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My other thing I want to bring us to here this morning is in this understanding that the Lord is our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me to grass-filled pastures by still waters, and his rod and his staff comfort me, and he causes me to turn in a way that refreshes my soul. You know, and maybe this morning, in a group this size, maybe there's somebody here this morning, you need an encounter with the good shepherd. Maybe you need a healing. Maybe you need a miracle in your life. Maybe you're needing something to be revealed to you, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or something like that. And if there is something today, I want to implore you as member of his flock, he's cared for you as well, and he is the good shepherd, and he is here this morning. And so as we close it out here, I know I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little long, but as, as, as we close it out this morning, if you have a need, would you come down here? The elders, I will meet with you. And we will go to the Good Shepherd today and believe him to meet us where we're at this morning because he is the Good Shepherd. Amen.